Hello and welcome. I'm Simon. And I'm Haney. We are Needy Pin Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 236, recorded on September 12th, 2023. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needypintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Two-thirds are back, at least. Yes, it seems that Alexander is missing today. I can't even remember why he's missing, but uh, it might be one of two reasons. Neither has anything to do with the podcast, obviously. Probably not, unless he's just fed up with us. That could be the case, but we'll learn Mm. that next week if he doesn't show up. Yeah. But that might just mean that he's fed up with you, since I won't be here (laughs) for the next episode. Ah, well... Well, well... (laughs) I think... The other person in this call <laughs> recording might be the more likely option. Oh, thank you for that. But on, on the flip side, we have a lot of things to talk about today, uh, just you yeah. and I. So um, we'll probably learn a lot more about Power BI and that data stuff later on. But today it will be all focused on the fun things within the Microsoft product yes. portfolio. So everything Workplace, everything Azure and possibly even a little bit of networking. Ooh, yes. Yeah, but let's get started. So uh, we know that Purview might be one of the worst names Microsoft ever put on anything, apart from the intelligent data platform. But Purview is a lot of fun things. And one thing I would like to highlight today is the additions to Endpoint DLP which is a feature that allows you to control how data is egressed from a device. So basically, it will prevent you from moving certain kinds of data to places where it's not supposed to be. So one thing that we're just introduced is the just-in-time DLP. So we we know that just-in-time is something that exists for Azure, where you get access to resources just-in-time when you need it. So just-in-time DLP is kind of the opposite because imagine the scenario that you're provisioning a new device. So you're installing a new device and you have your, let's say, OneDrive set up to sync to that, which contains some kind of sensitive data. It takes a while for endpoint DLP to pick up its policy. So in theory, Mm -hmm. you could actually start to egress things from the device before it gets the policy. Or you could even block the device from getting the policy with the purpose of egressing data. So with just-in-time DLP, it will actually recognize that, oh, I haven't received a policy. Therefore, it will block all kind of data egress from the device until you get a policy, which then will control what you can send, save, uh, or in other ways, get out from the device. So I think it's a quite interesting uh, solution, which might be a niche case, but I definitely know organizations that have had similar requests in terms of just-in-time security. So it's something that is relatively yeah. new with endpoint DLP. Interesting. I might have hmm? a question that is maybe a little yeah. off-topic, but because Go ahead. it just came to my mind, because yeah, yeah. like I'm familiar first and foremost with the Azure purview side of things that mm-hmm. got pulled mm-hmm. in the, into the Microsoft purview arena. And mm-hmm. you're probably more familiar with the other 
side yeah. of things that came mm. into Microsoft Purview. So yep. could you help me figure out what does it encompass that was actually like taken over by Purview? Yeah, I think it's a great question. So from the Microsoft 365 side, Purview, and I might be leaving things out here, but the main things are DLP, so data loss uh -huh. prevention, which in various shapes and forms ensures that you can't email things, you can't send things in Teams, you can't do things on endpoints, anything that will control the data and information flow out from your tenant or your infrastructure mm. in practice. The other thing that is actually like one of the core features within Preview, regardless if it's Azure or Microsoft 365, mm. is the classification engine. So what's yeah. formerly called Azure Information Protection, now Microsoft Information Protection, which <laughs> enables you to classify files, data, Power BI thingies, mm -hmm. whatever you like, with various data classifications, which you then can use to apply DLP rules on. Oh, yes. Uh, and the third thing that comes to mind is Compliance Manager. But there are also things like insider, uh, insider protection, information boundaries, a ton of things, uh, e-discovery. We can, we can talk about this for ages. But Compliance yeah. Manager is something I, I really like to highlight as well because mm. that is a tool that can help you uh, ensure that you're following things like GDPR or other kinds of data and cybersecurity protection frameworks that was a super long mm. word yes but yeah but yeah. that is just i think purview Perfect. is a huge umbrella of things uh, and yes. from the microsoft 365 side i would say dlp and classifications are the two main things uh, and but there are a lot of other things as well yeah i wonder will there be people who are who will focus on the entirety of purview or will there still be like the a little bit of distinction between what used to be the Azure Purview side and what used to mm. be the Microsoft 365 side. To be very honest, I do think that very few people that work with Azure actually mm. worked with the Purview features before. So yeah. I think that most people I know that work with Purview mm. are from the Microsoft 365 side and not from the Azure side. Uh, because classification is like the foundation of it in many cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and the people that I find that tend to work with it the most are actually exchange admins or SharePoint administrators because they have been using similar features on-prem for years. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm? Then we move on to what might be one of my favorite uh, solutions from Microsoft. It's Windows Auto Patch, which is basically a patch management solution where Microsoft sprinkles some AI on and it will update your devices. Now, uh, over the last weeks or so, they've introduced a new getting started experience. So if you have no experience with managing updates with Microsoft Intune uh, and using Windows Auto Patch for that, you can now go through a tutorial, some kind of wizardy thingy uh, and, and set it up with your rings. And we also have more control when it comes to pausing updates which is usually one of the, the aspects that my customers enjoy the most, uh, which is actually live controlling how devices mm. are behaving. You can pause, you can resume, you can roll back, and that is all with the power of uh, Windows Update for Business. 
We also have some news for Windows 365 Enterprise. And in this podcast, we mainly talk about the Windows 365 Enterprise SKUs. There is also Windows 365 Business SKU, which to me, no business of any size <laughs> should use. I, to me, it's a oh, no. pro, it's a prosumer thing, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you are looking at Windows 365, use the Enterprise SKU. Uh, it's well mm-hmm. worth those, those extra dollars. We'll talk more about dollars later. Uh, what's new there is that we now have support for VMware Horizon. So VMware's way of delivering virtual desktops, in addition to Citrix and Microsoft's, we have support for LG TVs. So the operating system within TV, in, in, within LG's TVs. We talked about that at an earlier stage. It's it's like going back to Continuum. <laughs> I still miss your Windows Phone, but it's there. So you yes. can run your cloud PC on your very much not cloud TV. Uh, and we have new reports for frontline workers. And I'm actually thinking about doing another focus episode on Windows 365 to talk you through the frontline worker uh, licensing, because that is something that like everyone that listens to this podcast know that I'm not the biggest fan of Windows 365 out there. And frontline is great if you work at marketing. But... Uh-huh it might not be what most organizations actually want. It's what some organizations want, but certainly not all. And then we have a quick note on Intune, or Microsoft Intune. So there are two, let's say, ways you manage Android devices today. The old one, which is device administrator, that worked up until Android 11, I think. And then we have Android Enterprise, which is the new cool thing which everyone should use. But a lot of organizations are still using Device Administrator, especially if you run like Teams Room Systems or something like that. Uh, And that will go end of support in August 2024. All right, less than a year. Countdown is on. Yes. So if you haven't started your migration, please do so. All right, so moving on to the Azure side of things, uh, there was finally some at least interesting updates to networking things as well, <laughs> from my point of view. And so uh, it's not just app stuff that I'm talking about today, but some app things in there as well. And maybe let's start with those, actually. So uh, in the last news episode that we did, I had quite many updates from Azure Container Apps. And as I was looking through the updates for August, I was like confused. Like I recognize some of these and I don't recognize some of them. And then I realized we recorded the episode kind of in the middle of the days that they were publishing all these new updates. So some of them had come out, but there were still some coming out right the following days Mm -hmm. of our previous episode. So Mm -hmm. it, Got me a little confused, like, did I talk about this already or not? But I did find two things I'm sure that I did not talk about yet. And Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is that for Azure Container Apps, there is now a dedicated plan generally available. And what that means in the Azure Container Apps context is that, well, the default way to use Azure Container Apps is that so that you have a consumption plan which is a serverless environment for you. Mm -hmm. And you can scale even down to zero if you wish to. 
and then you pay really per what your app uses. Mm -hmm. And now there is this dedicated plan option, and it is still a fully managed environment, so you don't have to spin up virtual machines or anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you only use pay for the resources that your application uses. And mm -hmm. you are able to create these workload profiles that define uh, can define like customized hardware that you want to run your applications on. You can kind mm -hmm. of define what kind of hardware do you want the compute underneath to be based on. So it gives you, of course, then a little more uh, control than the consumption plan. You can get very specific in what you need. It, of course, can give you more predictability into the costs when you define this yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, you might need to, you know, know how much you need <laughs> and so forth, but it is still yeah. a scalable platform as well. So it is interesting to see what the role of this will be moving forward. Yeah, because now my I'm, I'm even though I've actually listened to whatever you're saying about containers, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> so it it says that you can choose compute sizes and types up to thirty two vCPUs and two hundred fifty six gigs of memory. Mm -hmm. Is that per container, or can you have as many containers as you like on top of that? Like. What are you actually paying for? Uh, well, you could use it either way, uh, mm -hmm. but it does because um, with the consumption plan, you had the issue that you had quite strict limits mm -hmm. on what kind of memory and compute patterns your container could have. You couldn't run ve very heavy containers on that. Mm -hmm. Of course, okay. you could just leverage that same compute uh, for multiple containers, mm -hmm. or you could have a container with bigger requirements for yeah. on the compute side. So either it could go either way. Okay, so so yeah. I could purchase that 32 vCPU, 256 gigs of mm. memory, and either have one mega container, mm -hmm. like a Maersk container. Yes, that's a little insane I, for a container. <laughs> <laughs> or I can have a thousand tiny containers, mm -hmm. more like a Lego set. Now we're yeah. just name dropping Danish companies here, but yeah, and it would it would share that. So dependent on yeah. how you design your application, exactly. it could either scale to multiple containers or you could have one mm. mega container, mm. but you pay the and same price. Th there's kind of a difference in logic than how mm -hmm. your consumption is calculated. Mm. So you pay, pay pay based on how many of instances of that particular workload profile. So the size okay. of compute that you've defined versus per app, which was the approach in the consumption ah, okay. plan side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there you would pay per what your app uses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Uh, the other uh, new aspect in Azure Container Apps is Azure Container Apps Jobs. And this is not the same as init containers that I was talking about previously. But this is really when you need to, for example, some kind of triggered job that you want to run. Mm -hmm. So it could be on schedule, it could be manual, or it could be event-based. Those are the three triggers that are supported at the time. Mm -hmm. And so this could be, for example, that you just need to run some kind of one-time container to do some kind of uh, one-time task. 
or your application, mm -hmm. for example, you might have a recurring batch job that you need to run, or you could have one uh, use case that this could fit very well for is actually have your Azure pipeline agents or GitHub action runners running in an Azure container apps environment as these kinds of job uh, containers, because those are, you run them for a specific while and then you can ditch mm. it completely. Yeah, I think that's so it, quite neat. Yeah. So it's kind of ephemeral containers. Yeah. So you, <laughs> yeah. You, you spin them up, you do what they're supposed to do, and then yeah. you throw them away. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. now we have mega containers, we have ephemeral containers, and we have tiny containers. <laughs> this is going well here. I think I'm learning all the time. Yes, it does seem so. <laughs> ah, then going to the network side. Uh, so <laughs> Great. We have uh, some updates to Azure Front Door. And one of the things that is now... Um, supported is that you can have your domain validated, your custom domain validated that you want to configure on your Azure front door with your own certificate. There was a much more uh, complex process to verifying your domain in the past. You could have your own domain, uh, but the process was kind of cumbersome and not uh, very fitting, for example, to scenarios where you want to configure things on the fly and change them mm. through CICD and so forth. So that was not very fitting for that. You could, on the other hand, have Azure provided certificates, but some uh, organizations have restrictions that they do not want to use Microsoft provided certificates. Mm. Then uh, another a networking-related service that has had some updates is Azure Firewall. And Azure Firewall is an interesting service. It always feels like a quite a, I don't know, I'm not sure if monolithic is the right word here, but it <laughs> seems a little like heavy for a cloud service, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And But there are uh, slowly coming updates to things that you've kind of expected that a service that has been around for such a long time would already have built into it. So the very first one of the updates is that you actually have one-click upgrade and downgrade for your firewall SKU. <laughs> mm. yeah. So you can go from standard to premium and from premium to standard uh, without like a huge deal about it. You can just click and it will do it seamlessly. So something that uh, is really nice to have in a service like this. And then the other interesting uh, aspect in Azure Firewall that could really make configuration of complex networking scenarios much, much easier in the future is Azure Firewall Explicit Proxy. And this is now in preview, so public preview, because mm -hmm. it's, the information is out there. But uh, by default, Azure Firewall operates in a model that is called transparent proxy mode. And what that means is that you use a user-defined route in your network to route the traffic through Azure Firewall. Mm -hmm. And then the firewall kind of wraps up that traffic on the way and passes it to the destination. Whereas this explicit proxy... Uh, is set on the outbound path of the traffic. So you can actually 
configure a proxy setting on the sending application. So whether it's a more standard application or whether it's a web browser, um, you can configure Azure Firewall as the proxy there. And then as a result, traffic of that sending application goes to the firewall, to its private IP address, mm. and then egress is directly from the firewall without using the UDR that is there. Hmm. So I find that this is really something that can make lives easier if this is fitting to your like, situation. Yeah, and I think it's, it's something that I know other firewall vendors are offering. Yeah, uh, definitely. So it's, it's, it's just another way for Microsoft to try to get up to speed on, on the firewalls. Again, we, we just throw out focus segments here, but since I work for who I work for, I have colleagues that have worked a lot with other firewall brands in Azure as well. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to to have those discussions because I do think, and this might not be the reflection of my company's views on things, (laughs) but most scenarios I've heard about, we are actually still preferring things like Checkpoint in Mm -hmm. Azure due Mm -hmm. to reasons. And also because in many cases it's actually cheaper. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it would be interesting to have a discussion entirely on networking and firewalls. Yes! Alexander might call in sick for that. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, but maybe yeah. we could grab somebody who really knows deeply about this stuff and do an interview. Yeah, exactly. We'll find you a networking friend. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we we now we have gone through a lot of news items, but one thing that I think was actually released the day after we recorded the last time, or that I just missed it on the same day were that Microsoft is changing their licensing for Microsoft 365 within Europe. I'm not certain if that includes the UK, actually. Um, It might be only EU, regardless. Uh, The EEA and Switzerland. So I think EEA includes the UK, if I'm not completely off track. So the reason for this change, and what what are they doing? Well, they are removing teams from the enterprise and academic SKUs. Um, and the reason for this is that the European Commission have opened a formal investigation regarding Microsoft's bundling of Microsoft Teams with Microsoft 365 and Office 365 suites for business customers. The reason for this is that uh, the European Commission thinks it's unfair that this is part of the bundle and that it outcompetes. Uh, competitors to Microsoft, if that's what they're doing. If some of you remember, we had the same kind of thing with browsers back in the days when we had to choose our browser when we started our Windows 8 machines. So Microsoft basically said, okay, we we know that uh, we are being investigated for this and we want to ensure that we do our utmost to follow the laws and regulations within the EEA um, and, and Switzerland. So the two concerns that the commission have is that the customers, and I'm now quoting from the the articles that you will find in our show notes, the customers should be able to choose a business suite without Teams at a price less than those with Teams included. So that you actually then save Mm. money by saying, I don't want Teams, I'm using something else. And that Microsoft, and or that we, which is Microsoft, should do more to take 
to make interoperability easier between rival communication and collaboration solutions and Microsoft 365 and 365 Office, Office 365 suites. Surprise. When, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, like, it's not that Zoom is making it easier <laughs> for teams to communicate with them either. So no. I, post, yeah. I, I posted this on Twitter and LinkedIn and, and I had some people reaching out and say, this is good. It's it's um, it's fair competition and all of that. Let's not go there now because mm-hmm. I'm not really convinced that I think that is the way we should do it. But hey, so that's changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Microsoft is clever about this. So for the ones of you that are listening, if you have Microsoft licenses today, so Microsoft 365 licenses, which we assume since you're listening to this podcast and we are probably not that amusing to listen to if you don't have <laughs> Microsoft 365 licenses, it's part of the deal. Uh, if you have them, you will be able to continue to purchase the ones you already have. But beginning October 1st, you're a math teacher. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. So if a customer today buys the new license without Teams, it will be two euros per user per month cheaper than the current offerings, starting Mm -hmm. October 1st. If the customer then wants to re-add Teams, Mm -hmm. it's five euros (laughs) per user per month. So they are discounting it 24 euros and then you have to pay uh, 60 euros, which, if I'm not mistaken, is 36 euros more expensive than it previously were per year, that is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that is basically across all of the E and A SKUs, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, For business premium, it... It will actually not change, and I can't figure out why mm. that is. Interesting. So that that will remain with Teams. Uh huh. So Microsoft obviously, and if the European Commission says that they, it needs to be more expensive, well, yeah, Microsoft <laughs> wants to earn money, so I, I get it. But it's like it sounds so bizarre. Yeah. So in in this fight to have a more equal market we will get the customers to pay more yeah exactly that is the kind of democracy i like <laughs> it it sounds a little weird from that point yeah. of view but mm-hmm. yeah yeah i guess the logic is that they're thinking that since microsoft is such a big player they can offer yeah. teams at too low a cost as part of the bundle exactly so, yeah but yeah. Yeah, but still. It's not a good deal for the people who are using the licenses and need to pay for the licenses. Exactly, which I I'm not s- certain, but I assume that it's a huge minority <laughs> of the organizations that are buying yes. Microsoft 365 licenses that uh-huh. are using Teams and are more than happy with it than the ones mm-hmm. that want to purchase something else. So everyone else needs to pay more that so that a few organizations can purchase what they want and not pay Microsoft those two euros per user per month. <laughs> and I'm certain that we have listeners that do not agree with what 
especially I've just said, you are more than welcome to participate in an upcoming episode. I would love to have that discussion, but it might end up in a situation of politics and way mm-hmm. of looking at life rather than <laughs> licensing. Yeah, that can become a very complex conversation. Yeah, absolutely. But but to to start to wrap things up, do you see that there are Azure services where this could be as applicable are there like any bundling or something like that which might have the same impact i guess on the purely azure services Mm -hmm. not so much but for example Mm -hmm. now we have fabric that is a bundle of all kinds of things with power bi Mm -hmm. and then all these uh, revamped synapse components as well and things like that Mm -hmm. And it is more a bundle of things that you purchase. So very Mm. interesting to see. That is a a very good point because Mm. you might, yeah, that's something we could dig deeper into because that is uh, absolutely a very good suggestion on on things that might be impacted. Mm. But I guess on the purely Azure side, (laughs) there's the fact that there are product teams that are responsible for their products. And then Mm. I think they all all have also their own financial responsibility as well. So Mm. there's not many things that are often bundled together as a, like a somehow combined price. That's true. But that's happening with fabric now as well or mm-hmm. how how do you know how the product teams have changed since the introduction of fabric or did they create a separate fabric team i have to say i haven't paid attention to the details no. <laughs> have, aren't you following the organizational charts of microsoft on a daily uh, basis no it's it's no. just kind of with the fabric it's so new that it, it's bound to change so i'm just kind of giving yeah. It's some time to settle in and then I'll pay attention again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. At least, you know, from that point of view. Yeah. And with that, I do think that we're actually on time. Wow. Or just, or just about, at least. That's the so, first time in ages. <laughs> yeah. And... and as as everyone have noticed, Alexander isn't here, and now me and Haney are on time. I'm mm-hmm. not saying how you should interpret that, but there are ways <laughs> to interpret that that would be you're beneficial just, to me and Haney. Yeah, yeah, you're just hinting at it. I'm wondering, yes. since we have time, should we mention the events that somebody has gotten the great idea of having us live at in the yeah. coming weeks? I, I think, because we haven't had a yes. chance to get into that because we've been no. so over time the last few times. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that those two events should most certainly be mentioned. So we will yes. be recording two live episodes of Knee Deep in Tech on upcoming events. And Ooh. I will actually be at those events, which will be kind of my first data event. So I'm a little scared. But where yeah. are we going, Haney? And when? We are going to the Netherlands, to Utrecht, to Data Saturday that is held there on October 7th. And then we will continue our trip from there to Belgium, to Mechelen, where there is the Data Minds Connect event happening from October 9th to October 10th. I believe that is already sold out, uh, at least yes. the two-day tickets. And yeah. we will be there on October 10th with our session podcast 
thingy. <laughs> Entertainment, I would say. Entertainment, yes, I think yeah. that's that might be what we are. Yeah, and we'll get back to you on the topics because we obviously want to get your questions for those and mm. uh, we <laughs> encourage all that are part of the audience of those two events to participate as well. So we look forward to meeting a lot of our listeners and getting some new ones and to introduce Simon to the data community. <laughs> that will be interesting to see how you are able to make your way. Yeah. And now, since we talked about all of this, we are out of time. Yes. <laughs> so my previous comment about interpreting our ability to stay on time is no longer... <laughs> Valid. <laughs> ...needed. Exactly. <laughs> and with that, thank you for listening, and we will be back in a week's time. And until then, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmarinen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at